New York audiences are like, make us laugh, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) They don't want to do work. That's something hey, I... we pay. We pay. And we have to tip. Exactly. Right? Where's the joke? Exactly. <laughs> Don't make us work for this. Perform for us, clown. Hello. Welcome to Comedy with an Accent podcast. I'm your Taiwanese comedian, Kwan Wen. I interview comedians who perform English stand-up comedy but who are not native English speakers or they can have a very distinct British regional accent. This podcast is all about comedy, about accent, about languages, and about the comedy technique. So stay tuned if you're interested. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Comedy with an Accent podcast. This is almost like an emergency or like a bonus episode because I didn't even know it could happen. I have a visiting comedian. Actually, it's not visiting. She's returning home temporarily. This comedian used to be based in London, but now she's breaking through in New York. I hope the description is just Let's welcome Jansu Kalabiyik. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I know. I'm so excited because I'm trying to piece together the missing link of Scandinavia. Now, I know who I'm going to book to represent Sweden. I'm about to book the second guest for Norway. I just saw Denmark's missing. Hey, you're back. You're back in London. So, Jansu, your name doesn't spell with J-A-N-S-U. Your name is spelled, which I wrongly pronounced before, <laughs> with C-A-N-S-U because the alphabet is used slightly differently. So you're from Denmark, but your name is from... Turkey. I guess when they switched from an Arabic alphabet to a Latin alphabet, they just didn't know how to say the right letters, is what I think happened. Okay. So the C is always pronounced like a J in Turkey. That's the Turkish language used to use the... Arabic letters. Arabic letters. Yeah. Are there the sound in Turkish, only in Arabic? Not really. That beautiful sound you just made <laughs> really exists in That's Arabic. That's what I call the listering. If there's any sponsorship opportunity in the future, please consider us. In Kurdish as well. So my native language is Kurdish. Oh, you preempted because I was about to say on the podcast, you say that your name, Kalabik, is from your oppressor. Yeah. And that's what I had to explain. So your family is from yeah. Eastern Turkey, but your ethnic background is Kurdish. Exactly. Yeah, and some exactly. people start to Google right now, what, what is yeah. Kurdish? What the fuck um, does that mean? <laughs> yeah. It's funny because in New York, when I say I'm Kurdish, I have this bit about being Kurdish. And people just look at me blank. I can see they don't know what that means. If you already say that, and that's what you have. What would happen if you perform in Midwestern America? I would imagine New Yorkers to be slightly more international. Am I too naive in thinking that? Well, it is way more international. I just think they care about certain parts of the world, right? I went there and I knew nothing about Puerto Rico. But everyone was like, <laughs> you know, how can you not know? Puerto Rico is such a big part of... No, my only right? knowledge of Puerto Rico is, number one, West Side Story. And You're number right. two, there was an episode of Friends when Ross got too tan. I don't remember. Oh, yeah. Yes. And then <laughs> he asked his sister from the tanning center, how tan, how dark you want to be? And it's like, like you? What's your? And the other guy just say, Puerto Rican. That's one of my favorite jokes. But that's all I know about Puerto Rico. Please don't kill me. Uh, I'm ignorant. Oh, 
Then Jennifer Lopez from Puerto Rico. Oh, she's Puerto Rican. She's That's Puerto true. Rican. And I guess is Cardi B Puerto Rican? I think I so. Know. I don't want to venture into the area. I have no knowledge. Of. Right. I just know J-Lo's Spanish is not like fluent fluent. So right. people sometimes have some beef about her representing Puerto Rico. But there will be a Puerto Rican comedian in the future. So I don't want you to overstep your mark. Right. I don't certainly want to do that. I want to ask about you. You are right. a special, unique, a great comedian. Were you born in Denmark or did you move to Denmark when you were really, really little? Oh, I was born there. Copenhagen. Ooh. Copenhagen. Yeah. The big city. The big city. On an island. Quite appropriate, though. If you think about it, their capital city is on an island. No wonder the country is a bit insular, but... <laughs> It really is, yeah. 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 You know, like, neighbors make fun of each other. So I've heard from other Scandinavians before that Danish people are the more vulgar one in Scandinavia. Is that fair to say? I think that's probably true. Danish people are very vulgar. In what way? They are. They just burp in public or... Oh, vulgar in that way. (laughs) I thought you meant, like, sexually vulgar. Well, sexually vulgar is encouraged. I mean, <laughs> we <laughs> like, need to they're express quite, They're quite crass, I think. Their humor is quite crass. It's always, you know the expression, like, under the belly. It's always, like, penis jokes and sex jokes and stuff like that. Ah, okay. I think, to... I, I think at least in comparison to, like, British people, I would say they're way more crass. You move. Not we are talking right now. Maybe you're such a chameleon. Mm. You always had an American accent when you perform in the UK. Yeah. But somehow it was kind of restrained. Your <laughs> American accent just exploded to the maximum possible effect allowed. Wow, you think it's very American? It's even more American than I've ever noticed or remember from you. Oh, that's a bummer. But I guess <laughs> it's that's a bummer. A... <laughs> you don't want it to happen. I actually do like that. My accents just kind of mix up all the different places. Let me give an example. I dip in and yeah. out of accents. The, the one very basic word, talk. Mm. So British will be more like talk. Yeah. American is more like talk. But yeah. you can do talk. So it depends on how yeah. how loud, how open your mouth wanting to be. In this Instagram clip, you talk about when you should quit a therapist. And you say, when she does all the talking... <laughs> You never pronounce it as talk. Right. But when you are in the UK, you kind of restrain your vowel. Yeah. You kind of explain you studied in California before, before you came to the UK to study in Cambridge. Uh, So that's why you had the American accent. But I always noticed that your American accent were not unruly or so wild. Right. But now it has. Probably. But not now. Not like now, now. But when you were performing in New York in those gigs, probably you were surrounded by American people then your accent really runs wild, which I think is perfect because I think your comedy style, I think some British people will hate when I say that. I think your comedy style give me a bit more vibe as an American comic anyway. Mm. You just say things as it is. Right. You don't try to say something not so much in an ironic way or in a sarcastic way. You just say, I'm not taking any shit from you. I say it as I see it, as I think it. Right. And that kind of comedy for me is slightly more prevalent in America. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So when I first moved there, I realized that my British style of humor wasn't working. How do you define? Does it mean dry or being sarcastic? Being ironic and sarcastic a little (laughs) bit, like making them think. And New York audiences are like, make us laugh, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) They don't want to do work. 
That's one thing hey, I... Hey, we paid. We paid. And we have to tip. Exactly. Right? Where's the joke? Exactly. <laughs> Don't make us work for this. Perform for us, clown. Like, that's the energy you get from audiences. And I've been doing well in the UK, you know? Yeah, you were doing really well. My yeah. sets who, that I did on, like, in big stages in this country just did not work. Like, they, I would get lukewarm reactions. I was like, I used to kill with this bit. This, something's wrong. And then I realized... It was the delivery was different. You have to be so much more high energy. You have to give it to them straight. Don't make them think. They don't like that. They want you to just give them the jokes. So I switched up my style entirely. And then someone else noted to me when I first moved there, a South African comic said, you know, with your accent, sometimes because you speak lower, they might not get what you're saying. They might not catch it when you're saying it. So... I also had to enunciate more and be more animated on stage. And that's all changed in this last year, I think. I've animated in yeah. a way, kind of shouty, but not exactly shouty. Right. But really amplifying yeah. your voice. Yeah, like being louder, taking up more space, demanding that they listen. Those are things you, you don't do you were already idea. someone, obviously, with a presence on stage. Like, you go on stage mm. and say, don't me the stage is mine <laughs> you already had that menacing right. image and i think it just got 10 times more scary when you... <laughs> no seriously i'm just glad i'm gay if i were like a, a innocent 20 something straight man imagine if i were like a 20 year old caucasian virgin i'd be pissing myself <laughs> watching you if i happen to see am i right our soundtrack yeah she is yeah. nodding ferociously yeah you can't you're be safe more... <laughs> you're safe here <laughs> It's so interesting because I always feel, did someone ever say to you that don't try to be too smart? Or what was the kind of adjective that you to describe your original British style? I kind of know what you mean, but I cannot come up with an example right away. Yeah. But I know exactly what you mean. Right. So I'll, I'll give you an example. I was performing in, um, I'm not going to name the area, but uh, I don't want to disparage it. But it was in this neighborhood where a lot of people haven't even finished high school yet. Mm-hmm. It's like that kind of a neighborhood. But that's the beauty of New York is everyone enjoys comedy. doesn't matter what you do for a living, where you are in your life, people enjoy comedy. So I was doing this show, and after the show, another comic came up to me, and he was like, I know this probably didn't feel like it went really well, but you're doing cerebral humor. And for that kind of stuff to work, you really have to pick your audiences. But he was like, you shouldn't give up on it. You should just continue. A lot of the people in this room haven't even finished high school. They don't know what you're talking about when you talk about socialism, you're talking about you doing political humor, they don't actually understand what you're saying. And I, I don't want to disparage anyone. I don't know if that's true or not. I couldn't personally say I was new in the country, right? But the fact that he pointed out after seeing me on stage for five minutes, I guess that's more of what I always used to do. Talk about my time as a dialogue ambassador. It was very political. It was very a lot of social commentary. And I think in New York specifically, if it doesn't relate to what they know, then it's just not going to hit. It's just going to be like, I don't, she's talking politics. I don't know what politics. Unless I'm talking about Biden, I'm talking about Mayor Adams, or I'm talking about Puerto Rico, things that people recognize, it wasn't going to be relevant. Whereas here, I used to talk about my upbringing in Denmark, and people really understood what I was talking about. What I used to say, I grew up in a ghetto. 
it was a ghetto in Denmark, so it was pretty nice. You know, yes. people used to laugh a lot at that here because people understand. So that line the irony. will be considered too subtle for certain American too audience. Too subtle, really? way too subtle. Wow. Yeah, that line would never work. People don't know where Denmark is. What it is? Is it a city? Is it a country? So it's not that. It's because the context. They don't have enough background knowledge. They don't really it's know the context. Yeah. that Denmark yeah, yeah. is a very rich, right. and relatively more equal North European country. Exactly. A ghetto in Denmark may yeah. be better than a middle class borough in the UK, and that's where the joke. Right. Is. That's yeah. what the joke is. And the word ghetto, for instance, you people think it means like hoodies and rap music, right? Yeah. But in European history, it's very loaded. It doesn't mean any of that. It means urban areas with minorities in it. Here in Europe, I feel like people understand what that word means in a different way, whereas in the U.S., it almost just means like social housing for black people. It's how people talk about the ghetto. Okay, so let's just say for that line to be able to work in certain boroughs in the state, do you actually have to say... Man, do you know how rich Denmark is? And you give one or two examples. Yeah. And then you say, their ghetto is even nicer than your Macy, something like that. Right. Does it have yeah. to be to that, or is it too patronizing to do it that way? I think if you were to contextualize it, or select your audiences. When I go to Brooklyn, I can do that bit. It works fine. Gentrified area Brooklyn. Exactly. Okay. Gentrified Brooklyn. The girls Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Oh my God, I was in Bushwick. I know gentrification is happening. But if I had to go by on my own, I would piss myself. In Bushwick? (laughs) In Bushwick, yes. ask you this i'm skipping my formulated my first question okay what do you consider as your mother tongue or mother tongues mm, okay that's a complicated question because i don't really have a national identity anymore i grew up in denmark and i lived there till i was 23 i grew up speaking both turkish and kurdish and then once i got into school danish as well right so any of those languages i have an affiliation with but i couldn't say that Danish is my primary language, but it's not my native language. Turkish is the one I spoke most at home. So I have like a weird relationship with all these different countries. So the and language languages. you spoke at home is the one that's from your oppressor. Yes. Yeah. So, so f- I'm sorry. Yes. So, so Danish probably is your most fluent functional right. language, but you don't have that emotional attachment to it. Absolutely not. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't have that anymore. And... I would rather read a book in English than in Danish now. The fact that we spoke the language of our oppressors at home was because Kurdish was illegal when I was growing up. My parents had been brought up in a society where Kurdish was illegal, so they couldn't really speak it to each other. Even though they spoke Kurdish, it was mostly to my grandparents. To us, they would speak Turkish. So do your parents still retain full fluency in Kurdish, or is already a bit sort of curtailed? It is not very original. I think it's like an assimilated language now. It's still very different from Turkish. Turkish people don't understand Kurdish, but I would say their language has become more and more assimilated. But they're fluent, way more fluent than I am. I understand it perfectly, but I struggle when I speak it. I think it's a bit like my Taiwanese. In Taiwan, the official language is Mandarin, similar Mm. to China. And Taiwanese is the largest ethnic group in Taiwan speak uh, this language, which used to be a southern dialect from China. But there were a lot of influence from Japan after the colonial era. Mm. But it was banned at school. 
So I speak Taiwanese like a old feisty woman because that's where I learn my Taiwanese from. <laughs> as soon as I switch, I sound like an auntie looking for a bargain uh, in so a funny. market. It's like, how dare you not give me the spring onion for free? That's the kind of Taiwanese speak the best. But I can't recite poetry or right. can't really talk about the potential danger of adopting the single currency in the European oh, Union. Right. That kind of thing. That I could do that. Language is difficult. At some point yeah. in my life, I could do that better in French than in right. Taiwanese, and my family think it's kind of a disgrace. So you have this weird relationship with each of this language. It's like yeah. there's not the one for you. I'm gonna go to my second question now, okay. John Su. Do mm-hmm. you think you have an accent when you speak English? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I don't know what it is. People are always trying to figure out where I'm from. Like, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. That's the thing. I have a whole bit about that, you know? Like, people always thinking I'm Puerto Rican until I start speaking. They're like, oh, that's not a Puerto Rican accent. <laughs> you don't have that mamacita vibe. Mama, yeah, I guess not. It's actually really funny. Okay, can I tell the story? Yes, it's please like, do. I was on a date with this one guy, and we went to a Hispanic neighborhood in New York. This bar we were at was entirely Hispanic. The guy is Afro-Caribbean. So he identifies as a Latin, but he presents as African-American. Every time the waiter spoke to us, he spoke Spanish to me. I would look at this guy and I'd be like, I don't know what they're saying. And he would respond to them in Spanish, but they wouldn't acknowledge that he was Spanish. They would only speak to me. It was just really weird. This went on and I was like, it doesn't that bother you that they won't acknowledge you as a Hispanic person because you are a black looking person? Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, I guess it's kind of racist. And then this young white bar guy... He came up to us and he was like, by the way, I can tell that you're Hispanic to my date. And I was like, what made you come up and say that to yeah, us? Yeah, how? And he said, I heard you guys talk about it. And I always get bothered because I am Puerto Rican, but everyone thinks I'm white because <laughs> he looked white. Uh, he had light skin, like blue eyes. And, and I was like, yeah, I guess that happens to me. I'm Middle Eastern, but everyone thinks I'm Hispanic. And he was like, yeah, it's because you look like J-Lo. Oh, my God. This waiter just is flirting with me in front of my date. I love that story so much because in terms of like a first date. This is a very like, long setup to say that, you know what, on um, the Tinder like market, Johnson is super popular in NYC. <laughs> I'm actually not. My dating life is not going well. But I just love that story so much because there's all of that racial tension in there. And then at the end of it, I just get a really nice compliment. I do think human brain can be a little bit messed up annoying in that you rely on visual clue to make decisions yeah and sometimes these are biased unconscious decision because you just associate certain skin tone skin color to certain language certain group and where my friends have the young children that grew up overseas and they come from a bilingual family mm. so they always speak to different people in different languages but they will stick to one language for example if their mom is Taiwanese they talk to their mom in Mandarin and their dad in the English or German I have this friend her children are of mixed background but they do have some Vietnamese German friends so they're Vietnamese they grew up in Germany so they were German but when the kids see their East Asian look they just keep speaking Mandarin to them mm-hmm. because for the little child this one looks like my mom kind of people right. so I must switch to my mom's side of language uh, that's such an interesting story as well because I have this friend who is German Turkish German is her main language that's what she speaks to her friends and we know each other from England. So we went to university together. Occasionally, when we would speak English to each other, she would slip up and switch to German with me. And that's because I look like the people she grew up with. (laughs) You know, she grew up with other Turk people. And that's so endearing to me. How is 
Crunchy doesn't sound too technical or geeky. An accent is like a gateway to understand someone or someone's sort of mm-hmm. background culture. So when your accent is very distinct and people can recognize your hometown or your region very quickly, it can be an obstruction, but it helps because you either start explaining it or you try to reverse people's perception of you because you know that's where a starting point mm-hmm. is, right? In your case, though, because your accent is so different and so... <laughs> your accent floats. There's a difficulty in trying to link you to yeah. a specific subcategory, mm-hmm. linguistically, culturally, to explain who you are as a person. It's more difficult with you because it's so fluid. How do you deal with that? I think it's a good representation of who I am as a person. I am probably very complex and I have been in many different places that have all become a part of me. So I would hate for people to just put me in a subcategory. Yeah. Be like, oh, we recognize this thing about you. Mm. No, you just get to know me and you'll discover all of these different things is how I would want it to be. When people do try to pinpoint me to a place, they'll obviously figure out that they're wrong because I am not just from one place. There's just so much complexity in my life. Actually, yeah. because of background, it forced you to do that. It forced the audience to accept that. And in that way, maybe there's more of a help. Well, okay, to that point, actually, I do often have to preface my bin because I often start my set with, oh, I'm like Muslim and Middle Eastern. And then this thing happened to me so that people know what comes next is related to being Muslim and Middle Eastern because they look at me and they expect me being Mexican or Puerto Rican. Then a lot of my Muslim jokes wouldn't work if they just assumed I was Hispanic. So I do have to do some prefacing. I thought you meant in my personal life. As a comedian, I do have to do some prefacing because it confuses the audience and then I lose them. I had this one bit where I talked about one show where I noticed in my recording that I had mentioned, oh, I used to live in the UK. Oh, I'm actually from Scandinavia. I'm from Denmark. This was when I was doing crowd work. And I I realized the audience must have been so confused because I was like, I'm Middle Eastern. I lived in the UK. I'm from Scandinavia. And they must have been like, is she a psychopath? Like, what is she? Where is she? Where is she think she's from? So I do try to not bring up too much of my personal history when I'm on stage. Unless if I was to do a special, right, then I could really go through my journey if I was doing an hour. But for a 10-minute set, there just simply isn't time to get into it. So basically, it. you have to work it backwards. You yeah. kind of have to decide what's the set I'm going to do mm-hmm. today and then think about what's the background needed for them to get this set. Exactly. And you would take out that small, the partial take of you, and you take out that little Lego brick and say, I would just do this bit because right. I don't have the luxury and time to go over my entire <laughs> childhood or young adulthood. Yeah. And so I would just give it enough so that my joke later will make sense. What does it feel like to perform in English? What does the English language make you feel? It's very versatile, very convenient, or just like a tool. You don't feel much attachment to it. I Oh, that's a very interesting question because I grew up watching American comedy. Yes. Which is probably the main influence of my comedy style and even my accent that we talked about. So I would say when I was doing comedy in England, I was always very aware that all my comedy heroes were American. Oh. And the way that they told their jokes and the way they enunciate was always different from mm. what I was doing. So I couldn't differentiate really comedy from English. That's Those things go hand in hand for me. You so know, actually, like, English is your comedy language. It's my comedy language. I know how to be funny in English. I don't know 
always that I'd be funny in Danish or, yeah. you know, I know that I could because I did public, public speaking, but I think differently now. I think my wordplay and all of that is from the English language. It was funny because I'm actually in the midst of writing this novel about identities essentially for women of color. Funny, when I first started writing it, I thought I wanted to be like creative, mm-hmm. like beautiful, beautifully written. And then I realized, wait, I used to write like that, but in Danish. I can't write beautiful anymore. I can write funny. So then I decided to change the novel, and it's written in this, like, funny kind of jokey, punchy way. So you're saying when you are using English either orally or trying to write it down, cannot resist the temptation of adding some jokes? Absolutely. I can't. <laughs> I can't, yeah. Would you agree with my profiling of you, saying that your style, you as a person when you talk, you give the vibe of just cut the crap. Cut the crap. I don't have time for this. Yeah. <laughs> Say is it. Where does that come from? Is it from your, huh. how you grow up? Or was it from family's influence? Or was it from the Turkish, Kurdish culture? Or... I think it's a mix of both. I think Danish culture is very much like that. Being like, blunt. Yeah, very blunt, very brass. Mean brash. Thank you for yeah. using that word. I was afraid of using it because depending on people, being brass can be seen as being crass. I disagree. Right, yeah. But after living in the UK for so long, I sometimes appreciate when people are brass. Yeah. If they still have a certain sort of civil behavior. Right. You're not, you're not yeah. completely all in. But yeah. I just really miss people sometimes just to say things as they Being are. Being forward, right? Yeah. Just direct. And I think Danish culture is really like that. And on top of that, Middle Eastern culture is very much like that. There's very little subtext. There's very little protecting of your emotions. I wouldn't say these are impolite cultures, but they're very forward. Danish people definitely can come off as being very impolite. How so would you, forward. I wish there's an English speaker. How do you describe all this like a fuffling or like like a packaging? You're like trying to yeah. be cute and gentle. Like sugarcoating. Even yeah. we were even just talking about this earlier today with a friend, how our emotions were always protected so much at university at Cambridge. You know, even negative comments you would receive on an essay, for instance, will be sugar-coated in a way that it didn't hurt your emotions, yeah. you know? It was like, that's sometimes not really helpful when you go out into I the world. I think even sugar-coating is way too simple to explain the layers mm, or complexity yeah. British people add to the use of language. It's almost like wrapping something with silk and ribbon. Right. You're just <laughs> buying, I don't know, some tea bags, but if right. you get it from Ford and the Masons, they have the packaging out there. Whereas you buy from the German little market, just wrapping paper, right. or just like a steel plastic package, and that's what I mean. People find this online. So how British, you have to read between the lines. Mm-hmm. And there was this joke that a British manager asked a German employee to come in and say, I want you to rethink about the project. And the German employee say, yes. The next day, the manager asked the employee to come in again and say that I see the proposal has no changes. And the German employee said, yes, because you asked me to think again about it. And I did think again about it. And there's nothing wrong with it. (laughs) (laughs) I hope this is not too personal. So in one of the interviews you did elsewhere, you say that as soon as you came back from overseas to Denmark, you want to leave again. Because in Denmark, other Danish people don't see you as Danish, mm-hmm. that you might as well go live elsewhere as a legit foreigner and be treated well as a foreigner. Right. Instead of staying in your home country, but be seen as a neither foreigner, but neither a citizen there. Yeah. 
um, this kind of rejection must be really annoying, but it does make sense to me because I think Danish has this really famous ghetto law. Yeah. Did this happen when you were a kid already, or was it even a more recent phenomenon? And how does that affect you? The ghetto laws. You the mean? ghetto yeah, laws. Yeah. The, the ghetto laws happened a few years ago, just after I left, and it was one of the reasons I was like, I can't move back to this country. Yeah. Because you know I still associate with the ghetto, right? That's where my family lives. I just. Got so disenfranchised while I was away, and I was seeing the public discourse in Denmark. This place that I'm seeing on Facebook and public debate, national debates, it doesn't feel like home anymore. And I think that was when it sort of clicked on me that I didn't really feel at home because I was always feeling othered. So I was like, yeah, I guess I, I just moved to another country and get othered, but by people who are not my people, right? Mm-hmm. So the ghetto laws only got in effect, I think, 2018. We had a very right-wing government. If you live in within those areas they deem ghettos, then there are specific laws that apply to you. And then because we have social housing in those areas, when a lot of Ukrainians arrived, they were like, "Okay, we're gonna give these housings to Ukrainians now." But the ghetto laws don't apply to them because they are white, basically. Yeah, you can't say it, but basically because they are white. Oh, they can say it, oh. and they say it. Oh, they say it's because they're European. These laws are for non-Western people. Like it is so utterly racist, it makes no sense. Yeah. Like, how is this 2022? Those are some of the reasons I would never move back to Denmark. Yeah. I think I'd rather just be, you know, it's it's really passe to say this about yourself. I'm asking citizen. your take on this one without getting much into the ghetto law, because I'm not an expert on the ghetto law myself. Mm-hmm. But what I noticed from the time I did know you, you rarely mention the Danish identity. Whenever you introduce yourself, this is always the least often and the last one to come out. You will right. faster to tell people you're Kurdish. Mm-hmm. You faster to explain that your family came from Eastern Turkey, but very rarely and always like really, really late. Would you mention? Oh, by the way, I grew up in Denmark. To the point, I actually have to go on social media because I vaguely remember you are from one of Scandinavian countries, right. but I don't even remember which one that was because it yeah. was so infrequent mm-hmm. from you. And I just thought this sort of disappointment and disenfranchised feeling with your supposed to be your country, right. but you are othered in your own country. Country. Yeah. And I guess even though it's probably because Denmark is a small country, it's not going to be a super big comedy scene. But you could easily be on TV quicker if you stayed in Denmark with your experience performing comedy. You could easily stay in Denmark but still tour around mm-hmm. European countries. But that's yeah. not going to be your top option. No, no. Because I know how people of color are seen in Danish media. I know that there are few. POC comics in Denmark, and they kind of have to be these stereotypes all the time. Everything they talk about is very much, you know, within their identity. For instance, I talk a lot about dating, in a way that has nothing to do with my identity, because it's just funny dating stories, right? Yeah. It doesn't always have to be about that identity you have. And I feel like when I'm in Denmark, it would have to be. So they either have to conform. Yeah. to the white Danish society's view on a stereotype of right. those minority or they try to reverse or challenge but it's always about exactly the other people's perception of your yeah. race or category whatever that is yeah. you don't have the people say why do I hear you talking about dating when I see you I want you to talk about being right right and I I should say my comedy is definitely a mix of all of that yes even when I talk about dating I end up talking about 
race and politics as well. But I don't want that to be the only thing I can talk about. Are there noticeable difference between Kurdish people in different countries, language-wise, cultural-wise? Yeah. Do you make fun of Syrian Kurdish people or Iraqi <laughs> Kurdish people? I know like Iraqi Kurdish people really grabbed the headline you know, when they were fighting against ISIS and the, they were yeah. arms provided by the U.S. Army, right? But they're also yeah. being thrown under the bus. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like, they've gotten, they've taken all the shit from everyone. So I'm and... interested in knowing these sort of subtle differences mm. of Kurdish people in different nations. What What is it yeah. like? Well, all of them were oppressed and persecuted at different times, but the ones in Iraq were the only ones that actually got some sort of sovereignty. So North Iraq is quite independent and it has a small governance in that space. So that made them more proud to be Kurdish and mm-hmm better able to practice their Kurdish identity. So I would say the Iraqi Kurds are quite different in that way, whereas the Turkish ones are very assimilated in Turkish culture. Because for the longest time, you couldn't say you were Kurdish, you couldn't get a job if you spoke Kurdish, so people assimilated. And that identity, that unity is pretty much lost. The language has changed quite a lot, so it's hard to communicate across the border. I can't really talk to Iraqi Kurds because they have such a distinct accent and they didn't let their language get mixed in with Arabic, for instance, whereas Kurds in Syria are also like they're far more similar to Kurds in Turkey. Yeah. So I can understand their accents quite well. Influenced a lot by that border region between Turkey and, and Syria. And your Kurdish probably have more influence or long words from Turkish language. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But so when I met a lot of Syrian Kurds in like refugee camps where I was volunteering at some point, I was able to communicate with those people. But with Iraqi Kurds, I wasn't really able to. Also, there are other dialects in Iraq, in Iraqi Kurdistan, yeah. that's different. Fascinating. That's, but imagine yeah. if one day you can do like a comedy festival just for Kurdish people, and you have yeah. all these different stereotypes and accents to play with, right? Yeah. That would be great. Is your Kurdish fluent enough to do a comedy show? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> one out of 10, how would you rate it? I would say it's a three. It, that's something that really upsets me as well because our language was banned, so we couldn't actually go to school and learn it. It upsets me. My Taiwanese has a Mandarin accent. It's nothing mm. more insulting than that, but it is <laughs> what it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's all of us minorities. Our Suntai just made agreements. Does, do you speak Galician? Yes, I do. Do you speak Galician with Spanish accent? Yeah. Yeah, a bit. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Okay. okay, that's why you are nodding because you understand what I feel. Look at right? look at all us minorities <laughs> in this room. clips on YouTube, but that's one I found incredibly funny. That is you debating whether the Cambridge oh, Footlight no. <laughs> ruined British comedy, surrounded by all the people, which I think is why this country is in such a shit place in the first instance, right? The level of white privilege that permeating from that video. How was your Cambridge experience? Right. it's It was surreal, I would say, <laughs> because it was like every... So often I was like, what am I doing here? Like, I have nothing in common with these people. And I think the whole experience was kind of weird when I now have removed myself from it. And I look back, I'm like, I can't believe I did six years in this place. But I managed to surround myself with friends who are all international people. I don't have a single posh English friend. I have oh. to say, like, I know some... Where were they? Do they just like, stay in a room and wank each other or something? I'm, probably. <laughs> or, like, drinking societies and formal dinners, you know. My friends and I never did it. Like, we did, of course, take part in formals and college events, but we were kind of just more mature and did our own thing. 
as a graduate student. Even with the Cambridge Footlights, I never engaged with it because I found it so elitist. And so I tried in the beginning when I was first starting comedy, but then I realized that, so this was a weird thing that happened. I had just started comedy. I started in Cambridge and I did a couple of shows and then I thought, okay, let me try to get on one of the Footlight shows. So you do an audition and they have this panel of like 12 people. And then I got an email back from them being like, um, yeah, we thought maybe it was just a bit inappropriate for an elite Cambridge audience. And like, you've heard my material. It's not inappropriate. It's commentary. Them, it's not you. Exactly. So then some time went by and it was funny. Ken Cheng was, he started in the Footlights, right? He came back to do like a BME Q&A. And then they were like, we're going to have the first ever Footlights BME show. Someone encouraged me. Someone from the Footlights was like, you should send in a tape. And I sent in a tape and Ken was like, yeah, you should absolutely be on the show. I killed at that BME show. And then these used my clip the next year to promote the same show, even though they didn't want me to go on their actual Footlight show. Oh my God, and they yeah. were just allowed me to be on the BME show. Right? That was like so frustrating. After that, I just was like, I don't want to. Th- that just discouraged me from the Footlight. It was a weird experience being in Cambridge, being surrounded by all that privilege, all the elitism. There are two reasons I mentioned that clip. Yeah. Because you did sarcasm so well in that clip. <laughs> I think you just didn't bother pursuing it. But you nailed that British way of delivery oh, when you, you chose to and when you yeah. want to. But yeah. in your style. Also, it was like Kinder Chocolate, Kinder Surprise. I've seen some commercial basically having young kids, two, three-year-old, wearing adult, like closing, having adult conversation. Hmm. It's narrated by adults, but okay. they're all kids. That's impression I got when I watched that clip. Really? And the speaker <laughs> was trying to, to preside over the whole thing. You're just a kid, man. Yeah. Has your pube even grown out? (laughs) (laughs) He was trying to exert authority over you, but you probably have zero likes experience. Right. Why do you you pretend to be something, someone so important you clearly aren't? And I think, oh, this is how this country produced people like Boris Johnson and David Cameron are full of entitlement. I'm sorry for the political commentary, but... You should never be sorry for political commentary. No, no, but I feel maybe for the society to be... You know, they keep talking about like Edinburgh Fringe being so white, right? Yeah. Maybe they need to bring in positive discrimination. By that, I mean only, say, 10% of reviewers are allowed to be from Oxford and Cambridge University. Right. And the amount of show nominated, only 20% of them are allowed from Cambridge for, like, alumni or something. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's always so samey. You know, like, the kind of show really like, the reviewer mm-hmm. really like, have yeah. the similar quality from similar strand of comedy. You are stifling yeah. the potential, but you just keep putting those in a center over yeah. and over and over again. But this is what people think when they say British comedy. It's those guys. People are like, yeah, the Monty Python. It's like, are we still talking about the Monty Python? Come on. Or like a male sketch group getting half naked. You know, right. like it just, because a lot of people, and yeah. there's so many great comedians, they don't really fit in this kind of category. Mm. So they don't get the center spotlight. Yeah. Like, what they do is not considered odd. It's vulgar entertainment. But someone else is, is high arms. They're yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's true. <laughs> I understand your frustration, which is, you know, that thing. Yeah, that that whole thing. Can this even go in? I don't know how I'm gonna edit this episode. Oh my god. I think all of this should go in. I think this is like important things that people should think about. But obviously, I'll yeah. leave it to you. But I think that's one of the things that I always felt here was that it's really hard to progress to a place of success if you're not one of them. 
And I never felt like I was one of them because I didn't have the accent. I didn't have that personality of being this like Oxbridge person who can do like smart jokes for their mock the week, whatever it is. <laughs> you know, like, you know what I mean? It's like I never was one of those people, even though I went through their education system. So I always felt like there was no place for me at the top. You know, you were talking about Nish Kumar, like all those people, like who do the brown people who make it in this industry? Wow, you are brave, and I mean, I'm keeping this in. <laughs> well, I don't think I'm saying something wrong. I think Nish is amazing. He should be successful as he is. But well, we just keep this in. Say, listen up, UK. This is how you lost Jansu to New York. <laughs> But that's the same thing. Like Gina Yashir couldn't handle the shit anymore, and move. London Hughes couldn't handle the shit anymore, mm. and she moved to the states, right? Yeah. Okay. So United States racist, but somehow I just feel I have a better chance to be seen. Yeah. Right. Because you can create a brand for yourself, and you can play that brand. Yeah. That's the thing with New York is that it's all about the hustle. It's all about the marketing. It's all about. You, who you know, where you know them, how you get into places. So I don't know. I feel like I progress way faster in the year and a half I've been in New York than in the six years I was here. I'm so happy for you. Thank But you. when you made it, please come by visit more often. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> please do. Okay, our time is up. So how can we find you on social media, Jansu? Yes, I am on Instagram as Jansu Distat C A N S U D I S T A T. I well, if you're ever in New York, I produce a bunch of shows at really good places. I also have a podcast called Let's Hookah, so you can find that on all the platforms where I interview comedians and just chat. That's it. That's me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. I love this episode so much. I just don't know how much of content will stay in after the edit <laughs> of self-censoring. But that's for today. And that's Johnson Kadabing. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Bye.